Well, good morning again. Thank you for being here this morning as we continue on in our sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Today we're in verses 19 through 24. If you want to look in your pew Bible, that's on page 685. Before I start, I just want to tell you how challenged I have been this week by this text. As someone who has a full garage full of stuff I do not need, I've been wrestling with what it means for me to lay up my treasure in heaven. And I think that that's a good place for me to be because I want us together to wrestle with this text and to try to determine the most faithful way that we as followers of Jesus can respond. Now, as I'm reading the text, I want you to look for three pairs. There are two treasures. There are two, um, oh, I forgot, oh my goodness. There are two treasures, there are two eyes, and there are two masters. So as I read, look for those. Listen to God's word for us today. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust, or as it says in other ones, vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, the whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is it that you treasure? Just this past week, my daughter, my youngest daughter, turned four, and so she got presents for her birthday. One of the presents that she got was a card, and in the card there were stickers, and there was, I don't remember, but like a $20 bill or something like that. When she opened the card, what do you think she did? She threw the money to the ground, and she couldn't wait to look at those stickers. When one of her grandparents asked her what she wanted for her birthday, she thought for a minute and she said, I want a purse. Now, what does a four-year-old need a purse? Well, this child loves accessories, so for one, it's a good accessory. But May wants to put her treasure in her purse. And so if we were to open her purse, her treasure would look a little bit different, maybe perhaps, than an adult woman's treasure in her purse. She might have a Barbie or some random Barbie clothes. She might have those stickers that she got for her birthday, definitely some lip gloss, and about 14 Band-Aids, because she loves Band-Aids. Those are her treasure. She loves these things, and so then she treasures them. She puts them in her purse. You know, we are made as humans to treasure. It's not a bad thing to treasure. 
It's just when we get our sights set on earthly things more than heavenly things, that's where we get in trouble. And so as I thought about May and her treasure, I thought, you know, there's some principle here. There's something about this. And what I've come to realize as I studied this text is that we as followers of Jesus should have a treasure that looks different than the treasure of the world around us. Our treasure should be something totally different than an unbelieving world that does not know Jesus. Just like May's treasure is different than mine, ours as followers of Jesus is different from the world. But now this is difficult, isn't it? Wrestle with me here just a minute. It is difficult because my feet are firmly planted in this earth, and this text is calling us to have my feet planted in heaven. And so in this world where I live and eat and clothe myself and have shelter, I am called at the same time to be thinking about the heavenly home. And Jesus here is not saying, don't take care of your needs. He's not saying that. He's not even saying, don't enjoy the gifts that I've given, because throughout the scripture, he tells us to enjoy the goodness of the world. But I think Jesus is warning us here. He's just warning us against the lure of the worldly treasure, of shiny and bright things that we think are going to make us happy. And he's warning us against consumption that might consume us. So why does he warn us of this? Well, if we look at the text, there are some reasons he warns us. The first is very practical. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth because moth and rust or vermin will destroy them. Or they might even get stolen. But we don't believe this, do we? We pack up our attics and we pack up our garages with stuff that we don't need until a critter comes in, maybe to destroy. I'm sad to say I have this very story. One night I was lying in bed and I heard the scurry. And I had to call Bobby Bullard, who was the pest control man. And when he came out, I learned more about flying squirrels than I ever wanted to know. But one thing that I realized is that that treasure that I had in my attic was gone in an instant. Jesus is warning us, our treasures here on earth are temporal. They will be gone. You know, ancient kings like pharaohs, they used to try to guard their treasure, and in their tombs they would put their treasure beside their tomb because they wanted to take it with them to the afterlife. But you and I both know that they didn't get to take their treasure with them. The Raiders of the Lost Ark got their treasure. This is something that we wrestle with. We, we love to treasure things here, but God is calling us to treasure him and to put our treasure in heaven. A person's heart is tied most to what he values. And so our time and our attention and our energy will be focused on what we value above all. That's why Jesus says here in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I saw this in a kind of, you know, practical sense last year when we moved from one house to the other. 
I have to be honest, I did not want to move. I wanted to move into a new neighborhood, but I loved my house. I loved my neighbors. I loved the route to work. And so when we moved at first, my heart was still in the old home. I would be leaving the church, and I would want to turn left to go towards my old home. But instead, I had to think, no, I don't live there anymore. i got to turn right. And, and also, I would think about that old home. One time, we drove by, and I peered in the window, and I saw that they had made the living room into a dining room, and I just cried. I said, look what they did to my home. It actually is way more beautiful now than it ever was. But I had this sense of, oh, that's my house. But you know what? The curious thing that happened over time is I started unpacking my things and I started valuing the neighbors that were around me when I started investing in my community where my new home was. It's interesting. My heart followed. I began to love where I lived. Now I love my commute to work. I'm so happy about different aspects of my new home. And I think it's because I now treasure it, because I have invested in it. That's what the Lord is saying to us. We need to make our investment first and foremost in his kingdom. We need to find our home there. All throughout scripture, we see that principle. This is not our home. We are going to our heavenly home. We're seeking heavenly reward. And so Christ is calling us to believe that our treasure is in heaven. But more than anything, I think this passage is reminding us to treasure Christ. We have to look to him and see that he gave up riches in heaven to come to be poor among us so that we might become rich. And when we captivate our hearts with this message of Christ's love for us, then and only then can we find our treasure in heaven. I found this prayer this week that kind of practically sums up this section. It's in the book, Every Moment Holy. And I want you in your mind to kind of pray it with me. It says, Lord, teach me the difference between appreciation and idolatry, between holy enjoyment and wanton indulgence between thanksgiving for your provision and misuse of the resources with which you have entrusted us. And I would add to the prayer, Lord, help us to treasure you most. Okay, so there are two treasures, and then there are two what? Two eyes. There's the good eye, and there's the bad eye. Or as some translations say, there is the healthy eye, or there is the unhealthy eye. And if we have a good eye, then our whole body, it says, is full of light. But if our eyes are bad, then the whole body is filled with darkness. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, I think I might can explain a little bit if I illustrate by talking about my own reading glasses. Now, I know many of you probably wear reading glasses as well. But for me, I didn't know I needed reading glasses. Um, I just thought the font was getting a lot smaller as I aged. Until one day, I had a friend in the office, and I said, hey, let me put those reading glasses on. And I put them on, 
And wow, things came into focus in a way I didn't realize. And it wasn't the font being small after all. It was the fact that my vision was impaired and I didn't even know it. And that is what Jesus is telling us here. He says in verse 23, But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be filled with darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Unless we realize that our vision is impaired, we're going to be walking around the world blind to the purposes of God's kingdom. Jesus is saying sometimes we don't see clearly, and particularly as it relates to our treasure and to money. Now, Tim Keller, um, he really helped me a lot on this because when I was reading this passage, I thought, what does what does the eye have to do with it? And he explained that the good eye and the bad eye is a discussion, really, of materialism and of greed. He was doing a um, talk on the seven deadly sins, and he was taking one sin at a time. And his wife said, well, are you announcing which sin you're going to talk about each week? And he said, well, yeah. And she said, well, you won't have a lot of people there the week that you talk about greed. And he said, why? You know? But the truth of the matter was, when that day came, she was right. She was right. There weren't as many people there to talk about greed. Now, it wasn't that the people um, avoided it because they wanted to be confronted. They didn't want to be confronted with their sin. He said, people just don't see themselves as greedy. We don't realize the greed that lies in our heart. Keller explains that greed hides itself from the victim. That's why in the passage we read in Luke, um, Jesus says, watch out for greed. Um, Greed isn't like adultery. You know if you are committing adultery. It isn't like coveting your neighbor. You know if you're coveting. You know if you're jealous of someone. But greed is hard to determine. And then he talks about why this is. He says, well, we, most of us live and we settle in a particular economic class. And we look around us, and almost always there are people richer than us, with more lavish habits than us, and we think, oh, I'm doing pretty good in the greed department. But if we truly test our hearts, we might think differently. He says we don't even want to ask ourselves the question of whether we are using our resources properly. We just choose not to think about it. We don't, we don't want to think that deeply about whether we're using our resources and we have a good eye for God's kingdom. Greed is blinding because it trains our hearts to hope for happiness and comfort in the things of the earth instead of in Jesus. Life becomes all about our happiness and our comfort and our security. And the idol that's smack dab in the middle of all of that is ourselves. Our vision can be impaired. And so in order to like recorrect our vision, we have to have a vision, a captivated heart for who Christ is, but also a vision for his work in the world. We fix our eyes on him and we Think about the things that are important to him. Another May story. Do you know how people determine if a child needs glasses? May has glasses. Um, They have this little instrument at the pediatrician, and you hold it up, 
and the child looks in the instrument when they're like one year old and it has bird sounds and they're intrigued by it. But this instrument can tell if they are able to focus in or not. And so at May's one year pediatrician appointment, we got the word that she wasn't able to focus correctly and so then we had to go to the eye doctor and they continued to determine what the problem was with her vision. The neat thing about May is that she's farsighted and you usually go from farsightedness to nearsightedness. So there's a hope that her vision over time can be corrected. And that is the hope that we have for ourselves as well. This is not just a a sermon of gloom. This is a sermon of hope that God, when we catch a vision for Christ and when that captivates our hearts, then we can begin to change our vision, our bad eye, the eye that is focused on me and mine, changes to a focus on others and a focus on God's kingdom. You know, one way that we can change this focus is by following Jesus into places that will bring him joy and places where he would walk. I think about caring for orphans and widows and for feeding the hungry and working to provide shelter for the homeless and relief for the refugees, um, mercy for the broken, healing for the sick, comfort for the lonely and the distressed, coming to them with the liberating message of Jesus' love. I've seen this happen around us. I see it in our church all the time. People who have shifted their focus from the things of this earth and they've decided, you know, I'm going to pour myself in life and ministry into the people around me and I'm going to work so that people around me flourish and so they understand more fully the gospel. It could be that you make cakes for firemen or you cook for missions or you sing in the choir to help us learn the tenets of faith. By the way, after that choral message, we could have just ended the the service. That was awesome. Perhaps it's caring for the widows and the orphans or our elders and our parents or for lonely friends and giving our time and our creativity to the church. I think one of the best ways for me at least to shift my focus is to get out of my comfort zone. And I saw this really clearly when four of us this Christmas went to the Dominican Republic. And um, we took some gifts. The church was so generous. So many people gave gifts so that we could take to um, Ann Peyton Baker, who works with Kids Alive International, to their home, Casa Monte Plata, in the Dominican Republic. We took gifts and we wrapped them for the students and for the house parents there over Christmas. But when I got outside of my comfort zone, It was an opportunity for me to wrestle with the material comfort and the contentment and my room for more generosity. And I left saying, man, I have so much. These kids, they lack so much. Man, I have so much and they need so much. They need our love and education and hope for the future and You know, when I met the students, they became real to me, people with names and stories and hopes. 
it was an opportunity for me to restore my vision, to come back into focus a little bit about what God's mission in the world is. And perhaps it's not that you go to the Dominican Republic or on a mission trip. Maybe it's just that you open your eyes to the poor among us and you go to a school like Restoration Academy or Cornerstone or you pray fervently for the needs of those around us. I don't know what it is that you need to do to refocus your vision, but I just encourage you to wrestle, to ask yourself the question, could, could it be that I, I need to change my focus from the interior to God's world and to his kingdom come? All right, the last pair we have here are the two masters. So we have the two treasures, the two eyes, and now the two masters. Um, I'm going to read it for us. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I love how the Bible kind of illustrates itself. This concept of the fact that you can't love God and money is illustrated in a story that's found, I think, in Matthew, but also in Mark. And I was going to turn over to Mark and read it for us. It's the, par it's the story of the rich young man. And you may know this story. The, the man comes to Jesus, and he kneels before him. He is reverent before the Lord, and he says to him these words, um, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And then he gives them a list of the commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Do you remember how the man responds? He says, oh, awesome. He says, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. He's a very moral person. And this is my favorite verse, verse 21 of chapter 10 of Mark. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He loved him. In the midst of this man's struggle, he loved him. And in the midst of ours, Christ loves us. And this is what he said to him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now the interesting thing about this story is this man was very reverent to the Lord. He came and fell on his knees. He was also very moral, keeping the commandments. But Jesus knew his heart in a way that we can't know each other's hearts. Jesus knew that his choice would be to follow money instead of following Christ. And in verse 22, we see that's what happened. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Even in the midst of the wrestling, the Lord loves us. He loves us so much to tell us the truth. You can't serve God and money. He wants to reorient our lives. That's what this whole sermon is about, reorienting our lives around the mission of God and the mission 
of following him. How many of you guys are March Madness fans? Like basketball, I see some hands up front. Um, Yes, basketball is a wonderful sport, and I've been thinking a lot about coaching because of March Madness recently. And Eleanor, uh, my middle child, is playing on on a team right now, and I just love to go to practice because I love to hear her coach coach them. I'll observe the coach, and she's teaching them things that I never knew. She's talking about three lanes on offense, and when you get a rebound, you want to use your baseline hand to dribble. I mean, I I wish I could go back and play again. I love her coaching. And one thing she says, you've probably heard it before, but it was new to me. She said, there are three things that everybody can do on this court. Have you heard it before? You You can have a good attitude. You can focus, and you can give your best effort. Attitude, effort, and focus. And I thought, you know, that's true about life, especially when it comes to our treasures. What is our attitude? Is it, this is not my home. I'm going to my home. I'm just traveling through, and on my way, I'm seeking to take with me people. I'm seeking to impact the world through the resources that Jesus has given me, what effort are we making to seek God's kingdom this week through prayer and through giving and serving and investing? And are my eyes focused on the right things? Do I see the greed that is lurking around in my heart? Can I focus more time and attention on what God cares about? You know, the thing I love most, like most about my daughter's coach is this, though. When she tells them hard things, when she's tough on them, I know at the very same time that she loves them. And I know it because when they come up to her, she has this bright smile, and she's always adding encouragement on when she is telling them things that will make them better. She tells them hard truths and encourages them to get better, but she does it because she loves them, and she wants more for them. And the same is true on a deeper level for us with our Lord Jesus. He loves us so much, so much, that we are his treasured possession. And he loves us enough to tell us a difficult truth, a freeing truth that life following him can be better than anything this world can provide. Will you pray with me? Lord, help us to be a people who have an attitude of gratitude, who realize that this earth is not our true home, so that we store up our treasure in heaven and not on earth. Help us to stay focused on the Lord of all, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to remember your love and that you desire what is best for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.